Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. I would like to welcome you to my podcast, the Studio HFL. And okay. uh, you Thank are you. the third trombone player that I've ever interviewed, because this is normally a trumpet player uh, podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, so well, I, wanna... I was a trumpet player, so I, that counts for something. <laughs> well, it counts for a lot. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm going to ask you, I want you to think like a trumpet player then for a second. I'm going to ask you uh, what I've asked everybody as I start these podcasts or the interviews. Um Studio HFL. What does the HFL stand for? Studio HFL? HFL. If you think like a trumpet player, it should be pretty easy. Oh, this is a, 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 a test, a test question. It is. It's it just, a, just a kind of way to... Hi, so hi. Yes. Something. Hi. Uh, I don't want to say any derogatory, derogatory <laughs> terminology, so I don't. That's all I'm going to. I'm going to stop right there. Higher, faster, louder. Okay, right, right. Oh, HF. 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 Oh, I thought you said something else. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. You know? But trombone players have that same. You know, sometimes yeah. they get into the same thing as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to uh, using that same acronym. I'll have to figure out how to. I have to figure out something for uh, trombone players. I uh, yeah. I interviewed uh, Abby Conant last week, and uh, she got it. But um, she said, yeah, my husband did some research before the interview, so uh, I knew what the answer was going to be. <laughs> We're in some strange times these days, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I've been spending a lot of time in front of the computer uh, getting, you know, and actually updating. I'm right in the process of updating my studio. Mm-hmm. You know, with a nice microphone and and um, cameras, and you know, I think mm-hmm. um, which I was intending to do anyway. You know, so mm-hmm. you can broadcast, um, you can work right in front of your computer and broadcast to your students mm-hmm. what they need to hear, and you can, of course, give lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be give, giving lessons in China. You know, probably uh, in a few weeks mm-hmm. on my computer here, and so. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it, it, this, this will pass. I believe that this is not the end of life or anything like that. Oh, so no, I agree. It's, but it's, it's, it's going to pass and somebody will figure out a solution. Mm-hmm. But, um, in the meantime, musicians have to stay active mm-hmm. and be creative and either compose. I know a lot of, I just talked to a trumpet player the other day, Jorge, um, from Las Vegas, who's a, uh, one of the great freelancers there, and he's graduating from uh, UNLV. Mm-hmm. But he's also a composer. He's composing a piece for me right now. He's a young, you know, he's in his twenties, mm-hmm. but he's ex- he's exceptionally talented. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's he's doing, you know, he's doing a lot of composing right now. Mm-hmm. And you got to fall back on something, you know, whether it be just practicing, you know, and hey, this is a great time to practice. <laughs> Uh, but you gotta you gotta be productive, you know. You gotta find a if if you're if you kind of give up, and you know that's 
and believe me, it's it's depressing out there what's going on. But you have to stay creative somehow and, well, and work on work on those projects you've never been able to work on. Right. And you know, I I told my wife who she's a violinist. I I said to her when all of this uh, the social uh, distancing and all this other stuff starts to come down, I said, you know, this might be another period of extreme creativity and innovation. I mean, a lot of, you know, this is a bad thing, but there are going to be a lot of good things that come out of this on the back end. Uh, just like you're yeah, talking. I was, watching Col- I was watching Colbert last night. He was in his bathtub doing a show. <laughs> yeah. And just by himself with right. the camera. And um, he was talking about in, in the, I think it was the 19, well, anyway, one of the plagues that hit, you know, the earth, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a lot of creative things that happened mm-hmm. that, uh, by famous, you know, dis- uh, philosophers or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they had the time to, you know, they just hunkered down and they mm-hmm. they discovered new things and mm-hmm. and new innovations were were you know were uh, discovered. You're doing lessons online. I mean, like like a lot of us, uh, we're going to be working remotely that way. Um, but what about the, the symphony? What kind of uh, do you guys have any duties or requirements during this period, or is it just? I wish we did. I wish somebody would <laughs> call up and say, "Hey, uh, we'd like you to, you know, play a duet," or you know. But mm-hmm. that duets, yeah. I mean, that's that's why I'm trying to set up the studio, and mm-hmm. so that I can do some very interesting things. Maybe mm-hmm. a quartet, you know. Um, I've d- I used to do that a long time ago, play mm-hmm. quartets and and record each part. Um, yeah, there's nothing that we can do collectively. Right. However, there's a lot of uh, life from Lincoln Center broadcasts that we've done over the years, mm-hmm. a- and years and years of you know maybe. I mean, so I've been in the orchestra uh, starting my 36th year next month. Wow! Congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you. And. Um, you know, every, I mean, twice a year we've done a broadcast and some of those broadcasts are very interesting. We've done, uh, you know, even like when you talked about trumpet players, Phil Smith, of course, mm-hmm. um, all the great, uh, you know, things he's done in his career, mm-hmm. but, uh, all those are available, uh, or they're around, they're not available, but they're around. Some of them are on YouTube, mm-hmm. but. Um, that would be a great thing to, you know, have an, uh, to access for some of our fans and people who, who uh, are interested in, you know, history and watching mm-hmm. old um, videos of players from the past. Um, so anyway, I think the orchestra needs. They're probably thinking about this right now because we don't know how long we're going to be out. Right. People are thinking, oh, we're going to be back in April or May. We may not be back till September, right? You know, so it's 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 something that they're you know the management of the orchestras have to utilize their resources from the past mm-hmm. and um, you know make their orchestra visible to the public. And and to be honest, you know, sitting in front of your television watching CNN or, or Fox or whatever, there's, there's almost there's only so much of that you can take, you know. Um, before you want to go hang yourself. So, right, right. Um, uh, but music would be wonderful if, if our organizations could figure out a way to to uh, make that available. It didn't even have to be on television. Just put it on a YouTube mm-hmm, channel or mm-hmm, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, of course, there's a lot of orchestras that already have all that up there, but uh, there's a lot more material um you know, we can't play live right now. Um, and, uh, I mean, the Philadelphia Orchestra did a nice concert the other day, and that was uh, – nobody was in the audience. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw that. They did Beethoven no, 5 and 6. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, they, wow. They, it was a great concert. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, a, that was a week ago. Now everything's <laughs> much right. different. You, you can't even go outside or in some cities mm-hmm. at certain times of day. So – Anyway, whatever we want to do, it's going to change in a week, you know, um, and because it's going to be different. There's going to be more people, you know, right. infected, 
et cetera. So anyway, that's why it's important for musicians to um, do projects. You know, get it, it doesn't have to be a, a large effort it could, uh, with a lot of people. It could be something where you just start your own project at home, and um, it could be doing a duet, doing a, a quartets like we talked about. So, but it's hard to say what the orchestras, my orchestra is going to do, and what what how we can be important because, you know, uh, we don't really know yet. It's just well, too early, right? And who's yeah. to say what the new norm will be on the other side of all of this? You know, will will life go back to normal? Will concert attendance uh, be affected? Will you know, it may take some time even after there's an all clear uh, for things yeah. to to return? Yeah. It was only last week that you know we did our last service, and that was a uh, open rehearsal with Petrushka and um, a, a nice Russian program. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a lot of—I was amazed. There was a lot of people that came to that open rehearsal, mm -hmm. and that was uh, last Thursday. So mm -hmm. um, people, you know, I think they were. I don't know if you had an open rehearsal now, if people would even come. But, of course, it's against the law. I can't do it. Sure, sure. So, but, yeah. yeah. So. Two of my uh, good uh, jazz trombone friends here in town, they're scheduled to go and record, uh, you know, combo uh, records, you know, trio mm -hmm. or quartet. And they're not sure what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they don't know if they should go into the studio and and if that's – you know, if it's unhealthy or not. So mm -hmm. uh, they're kind of struggling with that decision. So, Well, I mean, there's truly been a lot of innovation over the last few years with uh, people like Christopher Bill and, yep. uh, well, uh, Harry Waters uh, posts a lot of mm -hmm. videos. I'm trying to think of the trombone side of things. Um, but not just those guys. There's been an awful lot of innovation in home recording and broadcast um so it's nice to have <laughs> some really good models already out there uh, for those of us trying to start up uh, our own remote studios. And uh, so I, yeah, if you're if you're if you're if you're smart, if you know, if you have enough knowledge about the home studio and 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 editing and mm -hmm. and video capture and if you if you have that knowledge, I mean, you can you can be just as famous as Chris Chris Bill, you know, <laughs> right, right. You know, if you have the you know, the knowledge and the talent because he's an amazing player. You know, he's really amazing. Well, right. The the video itself is not just a gimmick. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's extremely no, no. talented and and so creative. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, this would not be a normal conversation uh, starter or interview starter. Um, what I'd like to do, if we could, is just shift a little bit uh, and not pretending that uh, the virus isn't there, uh, but... Um, mm -hmm. you had mentioned you're going to be starting your, is it 36th season with the New York Phil? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I started in 85. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's, I think that's about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, quite an illustrious career there. Um, any highlights? Well, I mean, the, <laughs> we could probably spend, uh, you know, quite a lot of time on just the highlights from that, but, uh. Um, anything that really sticks out during that your tenure uh, with that orchestra? Yeah, um, I was looking at something I I did recently, and somebody asked me that same question. And uh, anyway, there was you know Leonard Bernstein was still around when I started, mm -hmm. um, and so we we got to record all the significant. Symphonies of Mahler uh, for Deutsche Grammophon, mm -hmm. so that certainly was a highlight. You know, Mahler Third in particular, mm -hmm. and then uh, <clears throat> probably finding out that the the, uh, the Rouse Trombone Concerto that I premiered in the '90s mm -hmm. won the Pulitzer Prize. That was that was really exciting, <laughs> and. Um, uh, Working, you know, with Ricardo Muti in the Philadelphia Orchestra, mm -hmm. and performing with next to Philip Smith for mm -hmm. thirty years, mm -hmm. you know, these are these are some of the highlights. And and um, 
there are some amazing concerts that that come to mind. Uh, when Muti came and did the uh, Respighi tone poems, mm-hmm. that was a, a great concert. Some of the, these concerts I have actually um, broadcasts, mm-hmm. and um, so I've, I've saved them. And um, anyway, so those those are probably I would say some of the highlights for mm-hmm. sure. Well, let's talk about that Respighi yeah. program for just a second. Um, was that one concert with all of those on there, or was that split into several? different programs uh i have to i you know that's a good question because i, I know simply... we did festo we did feste romana yeah um on on uh uh on that concert with muti and i'm pretty sure um pines of rome was on that concert also i don't know if if major orchestras do this but the regional orchestras tend to over program so they would be like um all the Respighi pieces on the first half <laughs> and then come back and do, you know, Mahler five and uh, some, you know what I mean? They're just trying to pile so much repertoire uh, onto one program. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you, have you ever experienced that sort of concert where you're oh, looking yeah. at it thinking, Oh my gosh, this is, this is just too much. Well, we did a concert a couple of weeks ago. Um, let's see. It was, I'd have to look, look back what it was uh let me see here i might even have it oh franz was franz welser most mm-hmm. yeah we did a piece by vidman uh and he's a contemporary composer mm-hmm. and it's from his opera babylon and uh and maybe made a suite out of it um and that was the first half and it was ridiculous writing mm-hmm. uh for brass um you know high F's, high E's. The second trombone player was on, up on high E's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, extremely, um, you know, highly rhythmically challenged piece, but, you know, all over the instrument. And the ending was one of these things where it builds up and, uh, you know, you have to have the endurance to, to play sure. that. Sure. And then the second half was Symphony Domestica. So, <laughs> Yeah. So, so that yes. was a full plate. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. a full plate. Yeah, I, I, it seems like the artistic administrators who put these programs together don't have a clue, um, you know, the demands mm-hmm. on on uh, you know for a brass player. So they 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 don't quite understand that. Well, and and it's and, not just uh, one performance, right? You do a, usually a Friday night, Saturday yeah, night, three three or three or four performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But um, this coming week, we were we were going to do uh, a pretty full program. I can't remember what it was, but uh, oh, miraculous Mandarin, Taurus Bulba, and uh, anyway, there was mm-hmm. two other big giant pieces on there as, mm-hmm. as well. So Roman Carnival, it was a great program. Actually, it I don't mind those programs for, as a trombone player. I think if you're a first trumpet player. Maybe you would, you know, think twice about that. But mm-hmm. uh, for trombone, it's it's kind of fun. I enjoy those things, and mm-hmm. you know, especially in the as a trombone player, a lot of times you're sitting around doing not doing much. So <laughs> when when a big program like that comes up, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a tough week, but uh, you're you're going to get a lot of playing. I would rather be playing than counting measures. Oh, anytime, so, right? <laughs> anytime. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, that that brings up a question. Uh, you know, trumpet players quite often use an assistant. Uh, it's very rare when I use an assistant. Mm-hmm. So if you if you saw a picture of me using an assistant, it must have been like winning a lottery that, uh, you know. But it's, it's I, I, I don't use it. Um, you know, in Philadelphia Orchestra, they used it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago did it a lot for a while. Um, there's something about it. It was kind of a tradition to use, to use an assistant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we, yeah, well, I don't really use one mm-hmm. that hardly ever. Um, mm-hmm. but also it's not for the assistant. I, it's not very much fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, to sit there and then play a couple notes and mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I would rather use the assistant, just give them a whole piece to play, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, okay. 
Um, and then it kind of messes up the balance a little bit. It, you know, the assistant, like I said, and for trombone parts, you're you're hardly playing. You know, so mm-hmm. um, uh, you would use the assistant not to play with you, mm-hmm. uh, or to play with you, then rather than spell you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just to. So yeah, it's something that we we don't we don't really do very right. often. I don't know a lot of orchestras where they use assistant first trombones. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. trumpet yes, and horn, horn yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, but it's just such a more demanding uh, part, you know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, yeah, believe me, as a as a as a trombone player who listens to great melodies being played. Other than what yourself, you know, <laughs> right. I wish, yeah, I wish throw that kind of part towards me sometimes. I right. would love to play right. that. Um, so, but that's not the way it is in an orchestra. You know, yeah. the trombones are supporting cast members. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your current and that's fun, and that's and that's fun. I enjoy that yeah. too. Um, yeah. Your current section. How long have have you been in? Uh... The, the people that are there, second bass trombone and, and tuba, how long have you guys been in that personnel, been yeah, in that David, configuration? David Finlayson, we've been there almost the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think he arrived six months after I did. Oh, wow. And then, um, so I'm the, I think, yeah, I'm the most senior member of the, of the brass section at this point. Mm-hmm. Not in age, but just, you know, amount of time I've been sure. there. Sure. Um, but yeah, David Finlayson, who's a wonderful colleague and great player, and and uh, knows how to play the second chair very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, our bass trombonist is is George Curran, <clears throat> and beautiful fat, beautiful sound, just amazing mm-hmm. player, and very sensitive, uh, and and you know all the things you'd want for right. a section mate. He's, he's that. And then, uh, uh, Colin Williams. Now George has been there. I want to say eight years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And Colin is a little bit less. I think he's, he's been there five or six years, mm-hmm. but it's hard to say exactly how long, you know, time flies. So it right. could have been, could be longer, but, Anyway, you know, Colin went studied with me and also David Finlayson, mm-hmm. and then he went and went to play in the Atlanta Symphony, and then uh, he decided to come here. So we're he's a great associate mm-hmm. player, and he plays all the chairs. So he he'll play second bass, mm-hmm. he'll play uh, valves, and I play valves as well. And then Alan Bear is uh, he's been there about ten years, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, you know, nice big fat sound on the bottom, mm-hmm. and uh, and also a wonderful colleague to work with. Mm-hmm. And there, we have we have, we all get along, and and we have a good time together. We yeah. laugh, we can sit and tune. We can nobody gets offended if you know if you want to tune something or mm-hmm. um, you know people will stay after work if you you know in order to make it right in the mm-hmm. section. Mm-hmm. So nobody complains about that. Mm-hmm. Has it always been that way? Yes, yeah. And this mm-hmm. section before that, you know, the players before that, Warren Deck was, you know, premier tuba player in Absolutely. the world. Yeah. Uh, when he, you know, unfortunately, he was afflicted with dystonia, mm-hmm. and um, and and uh, Don Harwood, when I arrived, was, uh, you know, he was a premier bass trombone player. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, we've always gotten along, you know, every, there's little skirmishes here every once in a while, but they're, they're, you know, you just, that happens. You, you're well, living with these people. Well, we're human, know? right? <laughs> you know, yeah. we've got our ups and downs and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, to your right, of course, there's been quite a number of, uh, turn, quite a bit of turnover rather since, uh, Phil left. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I was thinking before I, we started this interview, it's like, what am I going to ask him? And it's like, let's talk about you, but let's talk about everybody that's been sitting to your right for the last, <laughs> last 20 years. Um, uh-huh. which, sure. you know, one of these days I'll, I'll get an opportunity to talk to Phil and, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to, but, uh, um, 
yeah, there's uh, there's quite a bit there, and very that's a very young section to your right, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean everybody's young <laughs> next to me. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's it's uh, Chris Martin. Was, we're very lucky to mm-hmm. to work with Chris, and mm-hmm. his artistry is amazing. And then Ethan Bensdorf, who's a great second player, mm-hmm. and I was at Ethan's audition, and uh, you know I. I knew he was going to get the the position because he just sounded so fantastic next to Phil Smith. Mm-hmm. And then Tom Smith is a great uh, utility player. He goes all over the section and mm-hmm. plays. So uh, we're we're very very lucky, you know, to have uh, mm-hmm. such a great trumpet section. Mm-hmm. I think if yeah. if I were to get back into the audition cycle, I would look for one of those positions. I think that would be the most challenging and the most fun. You know, playing third and then playing assistant and then playing principal and then off stage and uh, just being able to cover whatever you need, right? It's just you're there and you cover whatever is needed. Absolutely. And in the trombone world, um, that's even more difficult because you're going, you're playing, you know, you have to play bass trombone and play different instruments. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, it's it's even a more test of your uh you know versatility mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so let, let's back up a little bit you mentioned bernstein and uh i love watching him conduct um and thank goodness for youtube and all the videos that are that are out there where you can can watch and listen um what uh let's see 36 years uh I'm afraid to ask, how old would you have been, and and were you intimidated at all uh, when when Bernstein took the stage? Oh, I, yeah, I was 25 when I started, and mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, and and was right away we we started off with uh, Deutsche Grammophon was recording a lot <clears throat> with Bernstein, so we did the uh, Roy Harris Symphony, we did uh, Quiet City, mm-hmm. we did the Copland Third Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, El Salon Mexico, uh, Tchaikovsky Six, and um, and uh, the Tchaikovsky Six. Interestingly, that was there. That's the longest duration uh, of that piece ever recorded. You know, so it was especially the last movement. The last, so the, the chorale at the very end mm-hmm. was extremely slow, uh, and I don't think i've ever heard it that slow um <laughs> each chord lasted almost 30 seconds oh my goodness it seemed like but <laughs> no i was um and and the beat was his beat was very slow you know coming mm-hmm. down so i learned not to breathe too early so you have to <laughs> breathe late right and 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 i told everybody that that you know, I think we should breathe late so we're not sitting there holding air in too long. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah. And then we did some tours with him. We did the um, uh, a, a fantastic California tour. We stayed in, in we played in uh, Los Angeles, and we stayed at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. It was extremely, uh, you know. A decadent hotel, but mm-hmm. but very nice and a lot of history there, of course. Mm-hmm. And then and we did a concert at uh, UCLA Royce Hall, and uh, Michael Jackson came to the concert. And, oh no, kidding! <laughs> yeah, yeah. He loved Leonard Bernstein. And uh, anyway, so that that was fun, and just uh, you know, just getting when when we did the Mahler Seven, we mm-hmm. sat down in rehearsal to do that. You know, of course, I. I, being of some, having some knowledge of valves, mm-hmm. and being a trumpet player early on, so mm-hmm. I, I quickly claimed the part of the tenor horn mm-hmm. solo. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so that was my first real interaction with Bernstein, and, mm-hmm. because and and then right after that, excuse me, we did Mahler three. Mm-hmm. So anyway, these were amazing times in the sure. orchestra and. And um, the funny uh, thing, towards the end of his time with us, uh, we did 
we did a big concert in the um, in Carnegie Hall, the 150th anniversary of mm-hmm. Carnegie Hall, and it was an all-day event. Uh, we played Mahler II with Zubin mm-hmm. and um, Joan Tower com- composed a, a nice quintet or ten ten uh, sorry dectet mm-hmm. for our quintet and the Empire Brass Quintet mm-hmm. um, and. There's somewhere there's a recording of that out okay. there, I think, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, but at the end of the day, uh, Frank Sinatra came in and <laughs> and played with the big band. And I had to go hear that. I want, you know, Frank yeah. Sinatra in Carnegie Hall. I, sure. I, was, I wasn't going to miss that. Yeah. So I went out into the lobby and I saw Leonard Bernstein. And he saw me and he said, you know, would you like to come and sit with me? So I <laughs> sat with him. And next to him, and he and we listened to the whole show. Yeah. And then the last tune was, you know, bop, bop, boo, da, da, sure. bop, uh, New York, New York. <laughs> right. And he also all of a sudden he got infuriated. He, you know, he was he says, I can't stand listening to this piece. And uh, I said, What's wrong, Maestro? And he said, Well, you know, I made the, I I composed the original New York, New York. Oh. And, that, and 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 everybody tried to copy that. Yeah, you know. So, you know, he did the New York, New York. It's a wonderful right. thing, that one. Right. Um. So anyway, <laughs> so the I just smiled and, you know, nodded my head, <laughs> and uh, but he was he was quite upset about that. Yeah. So, you've played these pieces a number of times now. Was did Bernstein or another composer ever set? a standard or a benchmark for you where you thought that was it. That was the performance right there. And then later, you know, another conductor comes in and you do the piece again and you're thinking, well, this is, this is just not as good. Uh-huh. Well, the prop, sometimes it's hard to compare because, you know, you'll play a piece and then the next time you play, it might be 10 years later mm-hmm. uh, or five years later. So, mm-hmm. Um, yes, there are performances that stuck out, and it's also who you play with. You know, the mm. combination of players um, is, is can make a different performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, um, but the yeah, the, the, there there are conductors that come in and and make a a, a nice refreshing version of. Uh, refreshed version of of something that you know Tchaikovsky Five you played over and over again, mm-hmm. or Mahler First. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's how Jop von Sweden, our maestro, got his position. Mm-hmm. I think he came in and did a, a really interesting version of Mahler First mm-hmm. that I haven't experienced really. So, what was unique um, about that? Just the pacing and and uh, his idea of balance. Uh, uh, you know, he, he. I think he paced that piece well. I think there's, you know, how many times can you play bum 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 bum? You know, and mm-hmm. but the way he 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 did it, so it didn't sound all the same. You mm-hmm. know, it was it was uh, holding back, and then and I think that's the problem with brass playing. One of the t- problems is that we see something that is marked fortissimo or forte or whatever, and we don't know um, we if if something is fortissimo and marked fortissimo again and fortissimo again they all have different meanings in different contexts mm-hmm. so i think um uh it, this you know first of all it has to come from the podium mm-hmm. but a lot of times it doesn't and mm-hmm. so we you have to you know the first trumpet player or even i or some the first horn or whatever we might make a suggestion in in the brass mm-hmm. say hey you know let's let's kind of chill out here and make the 3f you know uh, section the most important mm-hmm. so it's it's really important that um and and also to realize if something's marked forte at least for low brass it doesn't mean that it's that important you know oh, right. um, matter <laughs> of fact it isn't important mm-hmm. you know so and and knowing when to get out of the way is 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 a huge thing mm-hmm. for a brass player. Absolutely. A lot mm-hmm. of times, a lot of times it's, it's not important. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just a texture. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, not, it's not supposed to be a predominant type of thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when you get a, a conductor who understands that and, and, uh, you know, 
gives you, you know, it gives you the chance to play when it's important, mm-hmm. and then you know, and knows when it's not. I think that's that becomes a, a, a sculptured uh, version of that piece that mm-hmm. you don't normally hear. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. Have you had the opportunity uh, to conduct? I know you've got your trombone ensemble. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Juilliard, correct? Is that, that's where you're, yes. you've got that. Um, right. How does, do you, do you use some of those same ideas uh, when you correct, when you, excuse me, when you conduct, I started to say direct and conduct at the same time, uh, when you lead yeah. that group? Well, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now we do, you know, a lot of transcriptions. We'll do uh, the scherzo from Mendelssohn Fifth Symphony, mm-hmm. or we'll do um, uh, Eroica, um, and uh, or Egmont, excuse, excuse mm-hmm. me, Egmont. Mm-hmm. I always get those two confused. Um, so yeah, it's I do conduct and and um, and I try to sh- bring that same musicianship to our ensemble. Mm-hmm. So and explain to the group, hey, the melody always needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, and even if you have an obligato part to a melody, that's very interesting. Well, it's supposed to be a little softer than the melody. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Th- these types of things. Um, so, as you play more and more, and you around music, you know that melody. You want to always hear it. And I explain that to my students. It's like a, an actor on stage, mm-hmm. and you know several actors, several actors on stage, and uh, there's a spotlight on one actor. Okay, and that spotlight, the person who operates that spotlight. Okay, now has to move it to towards somebody else mm-hmm. and and that's the way music is you know it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a person moving a spotlight to different places and um anyway so i always try to instill that with with my students and and impart that excuse me mm-hmm. on my students mm-hmm. and, i like that and, analogy uh, i'm Oh no, but yeah and i've done some other conducting i've done a little orchestra conducting mm-hmm. here and there and, um, do you find yourself conducting? Whole... You try to be super clear, I would think. Well, yeah, and and I've taken a few lessons, you know, with with our assistant conductor here at the orchestra, yeah. and mm-hmm. he's very very helpful. But the idea of conducting to me is you're playing the piece yourself, mm-hmm. okay? And so, what do you want to hear out of this piece? You want to hear, uh, you know, obviously great rhythm. You want to hear have great intonation. And so I'm always on my students for rhythm, rhythm and pitch, mm-hmm. because that's the most two two most important <laughs> things in music. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, from there it's layers. Okay, so you get the rhythm and pitch down, of course, sound, and then you add phrasing. You mm-hmm. add, you know, what kind of dynamics do we want? Do people take piano seriously? If people mm-hmm. don't take piano seriously, then forte is not important, right? In, anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because because there's no it's it, there's no surprise factor mm-hmm. uh, or or intensity the in, you're leaving out different intensities. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I often there was a concert we did with um, with uh, Steven Spielberg and John Williams. They were both there at the same time mm-hmm. and and uh, and so we, we 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 were there was a new Indiana Jones movie. Mm-hmm. And they showed to the audience, and they didn't have the orchestra. Uh, well, they they left out they they left out the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Soundtrack. They're just you had talking but no music, mm-hmm. and that was the it was an experiment. It was really interesting. And yeah. so the audience watched this train scene on a train, and there's people jumping in the train and jumping off the train and mm-hmm. with no music and with the dialogue, and it was people started laughing because it was. It didn't make any sense. Right. You know, there's no drama. Mm-hmm. And then they played it again with John Williams' music, and, you know, everything made, you know, everything came together. Mm-hmm. So I, 
I, I made it that analogy that watching a movie with no music soundtrack is like you know listening to a musician who plays with no dynamics. Oh, and great analogy. Yeah, 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 and and so you know, so you have that layer, and then um, and all these things a conductor can ask for, you mm-hmm. know, but a lot of times they don't. They it's just business as usual, you mm-hmm. know. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, so. Um, you know, and I've never really studied formally conducting, but you know, you, in order in order to do that and and get the the movements down and the, mm-hmm. and and your posture and 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 you know, how, reading scores I'm good at, mm-hmm. and preparing scores I'm 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 good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, this actual technique is something that you have to go to school for or sure. study with somebody. Sure. There's a I was just down in South Texas. There's a teacher down there, Oscar Diaz. Oscar is at uh, Texas A&M, and he's never taken a conducting lesson in his life. Mm-hmm. But he's a great conductor, <laughs> so he's just naturally mm-hmm. gifted. And I said, "How do you know how to do that?" And you look, you know, his movements are very clear, mm-hmm. very elegant. There's not a lot of extra movement. Mm-hmm. Says, "Well, he watches conductors conduct." Oh, yeah. So. And, it's the way and we should listen to other musicians. That's the way it's modeling, right? It's exactly the way that we should learn. Of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. This is kind of a, a trite question. I try to avoid these, but you know, in in your time with the New York Phil, have you sensed in your own playing an evolution or a change, growth since uh, since you got there till now? Well, yeah, I've sensed a lot of changes. I mean, in my own playing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you have to be um, mindful of the changes that take place, either physically or or uh, so, you know some things are physically changed. Mm-hmm. Some things also are uh, your musicality changes and, and the way you look at music changes um, in regards to you know how to make a great phrase and tell the story mm-hmm. even more profoundly. Mm-hmm. So uh, it can be, a, you know, there's, and you have to make adjustments, and you have to keep, you have to keep learning. Mm-hmm. So, if you stop learning and you just do the same thing over and over again, um, and and you don't try new ideas, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's when brass playing kind of takes a nosedive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that specifically. Uh, in a technical sense, you know, it could be how you hold the instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the instrument can be held in a lot of different ways, and the balance of the instrument, um, how it feel, you know, how what kind of angles you use. Right. Uh, you know, these angles are, are very important to brass players. You know, how to get from one register to another. Okay. So, um, and you're always practicing that. That's one of the things you have to really practice more than anything is how you know to to do your lip slurs and do mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. smoothly uh between registers and you know um your things can change your teeth can change uh your mouthpiece you might have to change a mouthpiece you mm-hmm. might have to change an instrument um uh not not that you know some things some people change instruments for different reasons they mm-hmm. change it because they're looking for a different sound other people change it because their instrument is doesn't you know function or got mm-hmm. damaged mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons for changes, but change is good. Absolutely. You know, it's, yeah. you, you should you shouldn't feel afraid to make a change. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I remember making my first mouthpiece change way back when it was you know a scary thing. You know, <laughs> wow, I'm making a mouthpiece change and 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 you know what is this going to be like mm-hmm. and uh anyway it's it's something that that uh you can't be afraid to experiment mm-hmm. and so that's that to me is 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 uh how you evolve as a brass player mm-hmm. and uh if you get too stagnant you know with what you're doing you can lose interest you yeah. know you got to keep it interesting yeah and I mean, look at Doc. You know, Doc Severance. He always he's always finding new ideas and new ways <laughs> to play. Yeah. He's gone through the, the Bell's palsy. 
Yeah. And he came he had to come back from that. Um, you know, injuries. People have injuries sure. sometimes. Sure. You know, how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly had an injury once where I, you know, a tool hit me in the face. Yeah. And and I, I had to take a whole month off, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, this was 25, 30 years ago. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, so... I think it's it's something that uh, age, of course, mm-hmm. does change things. Your vital capacity changes, mm-hmm. and um, so you gotta you gotta you know. I I would say the 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 brass players' maintenance routine and what they do every day mm-hmm. is, is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. What you do in those in the first five minutes or ten minutes of playing when you pick up the horn is probably the kind of determines how the day is going to go well yeah and in my case you know the change i made it was really just trying to find a new sound and and, uh uh you know i was i was happy with the other instrument but um i i just felt you know and i tried shire's horns years ago Mm -hmm. um but what they're doing now their technology and their the people that they've hired um in the last five, you know, five mm-hmm. years especially, I think um, they know they, they're really getting into the nitty gritty of, yeah. of brass making and and uh, brass manufacturing. And so anyway, I I I, I wasn't l- looking to try really anything, and then I tried a horn, uh, somebody's horn, and I said, well, maybe I'll give this a try, and, and it, it it answered a lot of questions for me. So that was that was good. Was that easy to incorporate into the orchestra? Yes. So yeah, I, I tested it in the orchestra mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. in the hall and, and with a lot of people listening, and 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 found that everybody liked it. So let's back up a little bit more. Um, prior to the New York Philharmonic, you were where? I was in the uh, Montreal Symphony for just one season mm-hmm. as principal and as principal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, and then I, before that I was in the Philadelphia orchestra for four years and then, and then, uh, playing second. And then I had a, just before that I played in San Francisco ballet for one year. Well, it's quite a career, really fantastic orchestras to start out with. Oh yeah. 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 In, in the Philadelphia orchestra, uh, my teacher was sitting next to me and and Charlie Vernon also was there at the same time so mm-hmm. it was a great place to be in my early 20s mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. amazing to listen to the players and to learn from them you sound like like you've trained as a singer or a violinist the lyricism you know the flow on the trombone is is remarkable did that come from having experience uh, with either vocal training or violin or? My mother, yeah, because she was a trained singer. Mm-hmm. So she sang at the Met, and um, well, she would vocalize and uh, on the piano, or she'd bring her accompanist over, and she'd be preparing a little concert mm-hmm. she was doing. And, and um, so I would listen from a distance. Not distance I wouldn't you know, bother sitting right next to her. But mm-hmm. maybe early on I did that. But yeah, just listening to her uh, most beautiful voice and how she would sing through phrases, um, uh, that was certainly influential mm-hmm. to me. And and um, uh, I recently I discovered a lot of her recordings. I, I knew about these recordings uh, when I was a kid, they were on LP and mm-hmm. they were, they might even been, been 78s. We didn't have the right equipment to play them. <laughs> so I went to the New York, uh, public library and they had a gentleman there and he transferred them all uh, digitally. And so they're preserved and they took all the pops and mm-hmm. scratches out of them. And, and, um, so I have all those recordings and matter of fact, I put them on my website mm-hmm. just for people to hear, you know. Um, but she had a remarkable voice, and when you hear that 
phrasing and meaning of meaningful mm-hmm. phrasing and meaningful singing. You know, I just kind of tr- I kind of grabbed onto that. Sure. Are, uh, are these like uh, Schubert, Schumann, Mahler song cycles or art songs? No, from, from the opera literature. You know, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. some uh, Traviata and you know arias from different operas. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, she she uh, you know she because she was a uh, audition winner of the. Um, of the Metropolitan Opera was a national national audition at that time mm-hmm. where people send in, you know, they, they show up and they you go to a, a chapter, a local chapter or a local mm-hmm. division. She was from Michigan, so uh, she won her state, and then they sent her to the national competition in New York live on the radio, and, that's, and she won the competition, <laughs> and then they gave her a contract right there, you know. Wow. Uh, yeah, and... Yeah. I don't think they have that program anymore, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, so after that, there was a, she got a record, little small recording contract to, to you know, record with Met, the Met and mm-hmm. some other orchestras. And so these are a collection of all those recordings. So we're not talking a member of the chorus. We're talking featured. Well, she was, yeah, no, she was a secondary singer. She, she was, um, she set the most the record for the most uh, performances of a rookie singer <laughs> at that time. Some some were in the chorus, mm-hmm. but uh, but a lot of them were on stage with mm-hmm. you know famous singers mm-hmm. of that time. And so um, you know I have programs, and they would send her off to uh, around the world. They'd send her to Brazil or Argentina mm-hmm. to do a principal you know principal uh, uh, role. Mm-hmm. In, in a smaller opera house, you know, and they were grooming her. But anyway, her career, she met my father, who was a trumpet player mm-hmm. uh, in the in the Metropolitan Opera, and, and they, she didn't, she, for a number of reasons, they moved to California. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that, you know, she raised a family, and she gave up her career. Wow. And, and yeah. And that's that's the way that worked. But still, a remarkable yeah. voice. I yeah, mean, I even if she wasn't pre- singing at the Met, she still does. She still sing. Yeah, she mm-hmm. did recitals. Mm-hmm. And she did teaching. You know, when she wasn't taking care of us, but mm-hmm. um, but anyway, yes. And and she looked back on her career fondly, but uh, she was. I think she was also happy. You know, to just have a night, uh, you know, be a uh, caretaker uh, mm-hmm. of, of the family, and and that was always her dream to have a family. Mm-hmm. So, and, and and she was there was you know some people have careers where they try to do both, and sometimes it's not very successful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, you mentioned your dad was a, a, trum- a trumpet player. Yes. And yes. What uh, what style did did you say he was in the Met? He was in the Met. He mm-hmm. studied with Vaccano and and Schlossberg. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just look cleaning out some uh, documents because boy, you have all this time now on your hands. Yeah, so right, might, you might as well take your house apart and put sure. it back together. Yeah. Um, but I came across some of his transcripts from Juilliard when he was a trumpet student there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vacano was his teacher, and gave him an A. So, um, um, yeah. But he was he was a great brass player. Uh, he knew how to teach. He taught me the fundamentals mm-hmm. of the embouchure and uh, rhythm and articulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was the first teacher I had. Mm-hmm. And um, um, how old were you when you started that? I was I was about five when I started trumpet. Oh my goodness! Cornet, cornet. Yeah. So I think when I was in first grade, that was my first public performance, mm-hmm. uh, playing Billy Boy for my first grade class. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, and then anyway, we he brought a trombone home for me to try, and and uh i didn't really want to try but i tried it <laughs> reluctantly and he just felt that that was a better fit for me mm-hmm. and 
So when I played trump, you know, the high range on the trumpet at that at eight, when you were about eight years old, it doesn't amount to much. Right. But because I was going through repertoire and he could see me developing as a as a musician, mm-hmm. um, he he felt. I think he felt he didn't maybe uh, believe that. I, the high range was in my future, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as, as a trumpet player. And I think he was right because mm-hmm. my um, face just fit the trombone mouthpiece better. So when I first picked up the trombone, I wasn't that interested. But the first note that I played was a high B flat. So it, that's because the that was what was in my head. So when <laughs> I played on the trumpet, right. a tuning note, that's the high B flat on the trombone. Yeah. So right away, I had an instantaneous high register. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you like the uh, the change in in color? The you know the difference between the trumpet and the trombone is. Uh, it it had to, it kind of grew on me, you know, and I mm-hmm. didn't know what I would do with the. the well, at, at age eight, you don't really know much, you know. So <laughs> right. I didn't really know what I was going to do on either yeah. the trumpet or the yeah. trombone. But uh, when I started listening to the the. Uh, you know, Chicago Symphony Low Brass Section came out with an excerpt CD or excerpt record LP, yeah, yeah. and that was the first trombone section that actually ever did anything like that, yeah. where they recorded uh, Mahler II, you know, just excerpts. Uh-huh. And so when I heard that, that really perked up my interest. Said, mm. "Wow, this is this is something I'd like to do." Mm-hmm. And then I started collecting. Every, um, I remember the Keith, the excerpt books from Keith Brown. We all had those mm-hmm. people of my age. There was a green book, a blue book, yellow book, you know, volume one, two, mm-hmm. three, each had a different color. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I said, okay, wow, look at all these things that you get to play on the mm-hmm. trombone, all these cool things. And so I, every excerpt that I studied, I went out and got a recording of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, and I started making, uh, you know, a collection of cassette tapes, mm-hmm. and so that I could listen to what this piece is about. You know, so I find that students nowadays don't really—they just st- study an excerpt. They don't. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to study the excerpt, and that's all I'm going to do. Yep. Yep. So, um, and you know, because you ask them, hey, what what happens just before you play this? Oh, I don't know. I only listen to is the excerpt. <laughs> yeah. And it's what happens before you play it that sets you up to play it correctly. How old were you, yeah. when, you when you started making those tapes? Um, probably about ten, ten years old, yeah. eleven. So you're you're already now getting pretty serious about things. Yeah, yeah, I was. I when I when um the other thing I would do is, you know, I I wanted to play duets. I played duets with some of my teachers, but I found that very interesting. And, and but. Back in my school band, there wasn't really anybody to play duets with in, mm-hmm. at that level. So, so I just made a, okay. So I'm going to record one part of a duet, mm-hmm. and you know I was maybe 11 or something, 12. And so I would play one part of a duet, and then and I would play the other part. You play it back on a speaker, and I remember I bought a speaker and hooked it up to the mm-hmm. cassette player, so it would sound big enough. You didn't and, know um, how far ahead of the times you were because that's exactly what you're doing right now, <laughs> right? Yeah. We talked about setting up studios and recording. Right. I mean, <laughs> in yeah. essence, that's that was exactly. My little, what... Yeah, it was a little, re- <laughs> little, you know, um, adolescent recording studio. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think um, so. By the when I was 14, that's when everything changed because I I won a competition. Mm-hmm. That was hosted by Pepsi Cola, and that competition kind of really set. Okay, I became very determined to be a mm-hmm. professional musician, mm-hmm. and so I won the competition. It was a a good prize. It was soloist with the San Francisco Symphony. Wow! Um, a trip to Europe, all expenses paid for, mm-hmm. and five hundred dollars. You know, and and uh, anyway, that's. That's when I decided, okay, I'm really going to do this, and mm-hmm. I started uh, seeking out other professionals in the San Francisco, San Francisco Bay Area, and 
started playing quartets with these great players and mm-hmm. and um started freelancing i played in a brass quintet mm-hmm. and anyway so was your dad still teaching you at this time oh yeah yeah he he had tons of trumpet students mm-hmm. uh so he he would he was a he became a band director um and taught trumpet students at san francisco state mm-hmm. but also had many many um uh private lessons at the house mm-hmm. and they we was he would start early on a saturday i think the first lesson was at 8 a.m mm-hmm. um and and so that's how i learned the arbonne's book mm-hmm. early on mm-hmm. you know he'd be sleeping in the morning and you'd hear you know bump you'd hear all these these exercises that mm-hmm. every student would play all day long mm-hmm. you know um so i you know yeah um so he 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 taught till he was just before he passed away mm-hmm. and he taught into his in his 80s you mm-hmm. know and he like he, he warmed up every day mm-hmm. you know he liked that routine of warming up yeah and uh get doing something on the instrument get some get something going on the instrument right so who were you studying with uh at around 14 um well ned meredith was played they're all san francisco symphony people mm-hmm. but uh mostly miles anderson and mark lawrence mm-hmm. um but also uh a, a couple other terrific teachers in the bay area dan Lipsy who was playing in the Oakland Symphony with my father, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, Mitchell Ross uh, was a, a freelancer in San Francisco, but kind of a, he was a Jacobs student. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I, I enjoyed, I had amazing teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, the first trombone teacher I ever had was my dad, but he we found that after a while we couldn't really work together. Right. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> are you talking in the typical, uh, parent, uh, uh, kid thing, yes. you know, cause you know, my kids are taking lessons, but neither my wife or I teach them. Uh, we practice with yeah. them through the week, but yeah, there's no way we'd <laughs> cause we're too dumb. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> According to them. Yes. According to them. Yes. Yeah. And emotionally it's, you get in arguments and whatever <laughs> it wasn't working out. So my dad, uh, found a, a guy that. Uh, who's still around? He's his name is Barry Ehrlich, and we're good friends. He was my very first trombone teacher. Oh, he 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 just set me up correctly and continued the stuff that my father had already mm-hmm. worked on with me. You mm-hmm. know, and anyway, yeah. Well, and there you go. I mean that that sets you up for uh, a pretty amazing career because you're talking. Would you say you won that San Francisco job at uh, was it twenty five? Or the the ballet job the ballet job the ballet job I I I won when I was sixteen years old oh <laughs> no yeah. kidding yeah yeah and and uh, so I I finished high school in three years I did t- took summer school because I was freelancing already uh-huh. doing things and I could I just said you know I got to get out of high school here uh-huh. and just you know get more of an education uh, right. uh, out in the field. And uh, so I took a, a couple courses in, in the summer mm-hmm. and, and I think it was my counselor at the time, high school counselor. And she said, you know, her advisor, high school advisor, mm-hmm. she said, uh, if you take two classes in the summer, you can, you can graduate next year. You know? Wow. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And then this ballet thing, came around so i went directly into the ballet mm-hmm. and working professionally wow so i know yeah. you're you're a ways away from la but uh any studio work while you were on the west coast no you, no uh well <laughs> i did get offered a when i first joined the union out there mm-hmm. I, I did get a call to do a soundtrack and uh, and so they asked. I asked, "What kind of soundtrack is this for?" Oh, it's for a, a porno film. Oh. <laughs> and it was to it was to play tuba. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, it was just something that came through the union, and and you know, back in those days, that's there was a lot of that kind of business. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I asked my father. I said, you know, do you think this is a good way to start my my career? He said, you know, <laughs> I, I think maybe wait for another job. It'll come yeah. along. You know? So, so uh, yeah. anyway, so yeah, that's the only. There was one time I was out on the West Coast visiting L.A. and and uh, Bill Booth asked me to play in the studios, but mm-hmm. I was busy with something else. But out here in New York, there's been a, a few things. Mm-hmm. I did I did a couple things a couple months ago, and uh, actually playing bass trombone, you know, mm-hmm. it was which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you know, every once in a while something will happen out here, but it's mm-hmm. it's rare. Mm-hmm. Well, you're too busy with uh, normally with the the fill, right? Yeah, and there's other there's other people that you know do that regularly. So mm-hmm. you know that's yeah, exactly it's not mm-hmm. it's not something I go out and and try to solicit, you know. Well, and, and it's interesting. It's interesting work, but it, it's it, it's interesting work and and it's fun, but it it is you have to have a lot of patience in that kind of business. This is going to be an interesting stretch now, right? With however many six to eight weeks that are projected for, are people going to let yeah. their chops go? No, you can't. You got to keep yeah. playing. Got to keep I think going. if you, it's, you got to. I think you got to keep playing, and you have to keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, on my on my stand right now, I got practice with Bach, mm-hmm. uh, twenty four etudes and all keys based mm-hmm. on well tempered clavier by Ralph Sauer, mm-hmm. um, and. Somebody else, Jay Friedman, gave me a solfege book that looks mm-hmm. very interesting, and I'm practicing out of that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm hauling out my Abrasol stuff and you know <laughs> doing a little improvising. Yeah, and uh, you know you gotta you gotta keep you gotta keep developing, mm-hmm. and, it's, and mm-hmm. it's very important for all brass players not to sit there and and you know. Matter of fact, it's therapeutic. Once you you know, it's you may not feel like doing it at first. But mm-hmm. once you get into it, you know, I think it's therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And it's to be honest, it's a privilege because there's a lot of people that don't know, really don't know what to do with themselves, yeah. you know, out in life. And so we have the privilege of playing an instrument to play for our, our mm-hmm. you know, our own enjoyment. And anyway, there's so much to discover on yeah. playing an instrument. And so... Yeah. I think it's a privilege to have that that uh, relationship and and with music. I know at that I probably have to take off. Thank you, first of all, for the time, and then thank you for all that you've done for not just the brass world but the music world. Yeah, Larry, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you at maybe one of the Shires events. Yeah, you know, would love to play with you sometime, and and uh, thanks for doing this. Well, thank you so much again, and. Um... And stay healthy. Yeah, you too, buddy. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues, and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you too can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio hfl and one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes merchandise and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link thanks again for listening and i hope you come back for more great interviews